Welcome to CBuzz, Columbus's first business-focused podcast presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. I'm Michaela Hunt, brand journalist and your host for CBuzz. And this is the show where we bring you the best stories from the Columbus business community. We're coming to you today from our new home at Capital University's Convergent Media Center. The center is a collaborative space where students and faculty from diverse areas of study come to work and learn. Music, film, creative writing, digital media, and more. They are empowered to work together in new and exciting ways. So we are happy to be here and excited to be talking to who we're talking to today. John Rush, president and CEO of Clean Turn. John, thank you for being on CBuzz. Yes, thank you. It's it's an honor. It's so exciting to talk to you because I've seen you speak around the city and you have such a passion for what you do. And we get to share it with our listeners today. So tell me and the listeners who aren't familiar with Clean Turn what exactly it is. Yeah, so Clean Turn Enterprises is a for-profit social enterprise focused on providing employment for individuals who've had some significant obstacles to employment, whether that's incarceration, prior substance abuse, um, human trafficking, domestic violence, whatever generational poverty, whatever the challenges may have been that prevent individuals from getting that opportunity to pursue a career, we want to open the door so that they can walk right in and move forward to what we call interdependent self-sufficiency. So that's the mission. That's the mission. Why did you decide to do it? I mean, it's a great mission and we're going to dive into the need today here as we talk, but what made you motivated to choose this mission and this demographic to help? I think, so part of it's just personal, my own story. I grew up in Appalachia poverty in West Virginia. Um, My mom early on struggled with addiction. My dad and I lived in a trailer park in Redneck, West Virginia. I knew what poverty was like there. Uh, When I graduated high school, I moved to, uh, uh, left the Marine Corps, I moved to Chicago, lived on the west side of Chicago in a predominantly African-American community. I did not know what urban poverty was. And so so I camped out in the tents on the railroad tracks. I hung out with the vice lords, did a lot of gang intervention, volunteered at a homeless shelter, and just fell in love with the men that I was working with. It was primarily men at the time. And really wanted to help come alongside them. And the difficulty that I was seeing very quickly was um, them getting gainful employment. And so I said, hey, guys, let's start a business. And the, the Yeah, fr- because you have a long history as a social entrepreneur. Yes. I mean, well, so and, you said, hey, guys, let's start a business. Yeah. And well, because nobody would hire them. So I right. said, I'll hire you. And so and like, let's just do it. And so we started this little painting company. I had no idea how to paint, nor do I still know how to. I mean, anybody can kind of paint, but. So don't ask you to do it no, on your own. OK, good to know that. Anything we do, frankly, don't necessarily <laughs> ask, ask you. Me to do it. <laughs> so but yeah. And uh, I think when the dog ran through the paint tray uh, in a nice, you know, five bedroom house in suburban uh, Chicago in Naperville. Um, I think that was the tipping point for me to say, uh, maybe we should kind of close this one down and, and try something else. But you did try something else. And I think that's the important thing to notice. And while we are not asking you to paint, you found people with talent and skills who haven't always been able to get jobs. So after that happened in that five bedroom house in Naperville, Illinois, what was the next thing? And, and how did we get to where you created Clean Turn? Yeah. So one of the successful uh, opportunities that I had in Chicago was working with an organization that created a transitional job program focused on uh, providing transitional employment for individuals prior to seeing them placed in the private sector with one of about 70 companies. The success of that organization, Clean Slate, led to some philanthropic investors saying, hey, 
we'd love it if you could come to Columbus and help us do something similar here. Um, so the philanthropic investors were here in Columbus. Correct. Yes. Uh, five of the seven others besides myself were here in Columbus. And we put together a small fund of $300,000 to get launched. And it was disposable income. So these individuals had some money that they were going to give away, but they decided to take some of their disposable income, invest it in a for-profit social enterprise venture with the idea being that if it's successful, it'll be a gift that gives them perpetuity because the goal was to create something entirely self-sufficient, not dependent on grants and ongoing public subsidies. And if it failed, you know, my argument was, and it didn't need to be a strong argument because it wasn't as if I was looking for money. It, you know, it kind of came to me, but I often tell entrepreneurs that are looking for capital, if you're looking to start a social enterprise with philanthropic money, you could say, Hey, look, you're going to give it away anyways. <laughs> if it right. fails, it'll be a business write-off. It's a different type of tax write-off. But so you got to ask the question right. if you're looking in that direction to create a social entrepreneurship idea or concept to right. prove that. Right. Yeah. Go ahead and take the risk. You're limited, um, time of impact, if it fails, may be limited, but you're still having an impact with those initial dollars that you invested, just as if you were to take those dollars and invest it in a nonprofit program. Those dollars are effective for the duration of the program, but those programs need ongoing support and dollars the following year. So, right. um, so for all intents and purposes, you're still having an impact with your dollars, even if the organization doesn't work out. So I'm going to call you successful because Clean Turn has created more than 400 jobs and made a $200 million impact on our local community, which are some pretty big numbers, John. So why do you think it has been so successful? Because those philanthropic investors have to be happy with what you've done with this to yes. this point. Yeah, it's been exciting. And I think, um, and we've launched, I should say, so Clean Turn Enterprises is the umbrella brand. And... We launched the Umbrella brand in 2012 and incubated six business lines. Um, and over the last six years, we've taken four of those and rebranded those business lines. One is Clean Turn Demolition Services, which primarily provides services to the contractor space. About 200 contractors partner with us. Roughly uh, that 400 number that you just mentioned are the individuals that have been employed at Clean Turn Demolition Services. And Got it. 40% roughly of those individuals that we've employed are either still with us or they've used us as a stepping stone to move on to other opportunities in the marketplace, primarily in the trades. Most of those individuals have spent time incarcerated. Um, the other brand that we launched, we took our cleaning business line and launched it as she has a name, Cleaning Services. We've employed roughly 120 ladies, primarily ladies, through that business line. It's focused on supportive employment for victims of human trafficking, domestic violence, addiction, in some cases, all of the above. Um, roughly 36% of the folks that we've employed through that business line are either still with us or they've used us as a stepping stone to move on to other opportunities in the marketplace. And then Passion, Purpose, Profit is a third brand where we we realize you know, we're not going to be able to create you know 50,000 people incarcerated in the state of Ohio alone there's 20,000 roughly each year that are coming back to our communities Franklin County is the second largest county to be a recipient of folks that are coming from incarceration so we know that unless we educate the broader business community on how to do this and how to do it well and it's a lot more than just banning the box it's 
not shutting the door because of a person's past. It's understanding a person's past so as to create the right culture within your corporation that can accommodate and help an individual to move forward. So that includes management training, HR policies that create a culture that's conducive to hiring folks who've had some challenges in their past, et cetera, et cetera. So what we attempt to do through Passion Purpose Profit is, besides offer an annual event to HR professionals, is to come alongside HR professionals and say, here's how you can do it and do it well. You mentor these companies who want to get into these spaces. Yeah. And it's, and it's a reciprocal learning experience. It's not as if we've got it all figured out and every company, it's going to be a little different. What triggers might exist in one company are not going to exist in another company for a recovering addict as one example. So it is a reciprocal relationship where we're learning together. We're on journey together. The end goal though, is to see more opportunities created a more diverse um, plethora of opportunities created for folks that are coming from incarceration. So we we get the idea that you have the format and structure, even though you don't want to say you have it nailed down and you're the only ones that have it, you've done a really thorough job in doing that. So there's that portion of the social entrepreneurship aspect for those who are listening who might be interested to know there's a way to figure that out. And there, there's help out there to figure out the way, and it can be a really successful thing. But on top of that, there's this other side of the story. When, And I want to get back to what you were just talking about, the individuals that you are serving who um, are those who are looking for jobs, the homeless, those who've been formerly incarcerated, um, human trafficking issues, domestic violence, things like that. What, and I want to ask you this. What do you say to those businesses out there who may be hesitant to hire an individual that has been impacted by those circumstances? What, what can you tell them? I would say that... First of all, it's understandable and it's not necessarily a bad thing to think that way or to feel that way, which may come as a shock and a surprise. Yeah, it might. Um, but at I, first, yeah, I right? think, you know, the apprehension is natural because it comes from the overflow of not having the experience, the awareness, the knowledge on how to go about doing it well, A, or B, I've tried that before, and this is more common in my experience in working with business owners or aspiring entrepreneurs, you know, I've tried it and here's what happened and it didn't work well. And this, the first step in the process is identifying a, um, a vetting mechanism where you look at your business model, look at the needs of your business, you look at the population that you're targeting in terms of who you want to hire, and you create a vetting mechanism that can accommodate that particular population. And it sounds more complicated than yeah, what it so is. So when you but, say vetting mechanism, what do you mean? I mean, obviously, those who are listening, we have business owners who um, are familiar with all kinds of different HR terminology, but what vetting mechanisms work in this particular situation? So a, a clear example would be if an individual comes to one of our group interviews, we start the process with a group interview. Um, and if individuals come to our group interview as if they just rode in out of a 40 ounce, it's a clear indication that they're not ready for supportive employment that we even provide. Therefore, we refer that individual to an organization that can provide the appropriate services for where they're at in their journey. They need help. They need detox. They need treatment to get on the road to recovery, to get on the path to sobriety before employment can be considered. Um, and so that that's probably the clearest example. Um, 
And so it's the same thing with the uh, folks that may come and may not necessarily have um, stable housing. It, it may, in some cases, be more appropriate to steer that person in a direction where they can get at least some temporary supportive um, stable housing and then employment. And then while they're in employment, work themselves into an even more stable housing environment, right? And so if an individual is sleeping in a tent by the railroad tracks, they are most likely not going to be able to keep a job. And so, and as a business, you have to be able to assess what can you do? What do you need to perhaps refer out? Um, and so for us early on as a startup, we were limited in what we could do in terms of supportive services because our model allowed our profit to support our program services. The bigger we've become, the more we've been able to do directly. Um, and so, but that's something that you would have to think about as an entrepreneur. If you're starting something new, you can't solve all the social issues right out of the gate. You got to pick and choose, and then you got to figure out how to partner with other organizations to be able to accommodate those uh, needs that you can't accommodate. So I think I said the thing earlier that it's not shocking. I mean, in the back of our heads, sometimes we have a mechanism that immediately goes to doubting being able to help those in these situations um, as business owners. And at the same time, though, I will say that, I mean, we're talking about some of the most pressing challenges in our community are involved in these folks' lives. Um, and some of the things that you experienced probably, too, in the areas you grew up, generational poverty, incarceration, some of those things. So why should we as business owners be really concerned about that? So get over that instant thought of, oh, I don't know if this is going to be the right fit for me or if this can work for me. Why do we need to be concerned with the greater issue? How I think do you see it? So, yeah, I think the reason why business owners, businesses in general, entrepreneurs need to take this way of doing business into consideration, one, I think is just the right thing to do. I mean, I think philosophically, it, um, you have a responsibility as a business to think about how your business can impact your community in a positive way. And, uh, and that means working with people. And so, and, and people come from all different walks and have all different kinds of histories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the value add that that brings to your organization, the more you're able to diversify. I think there's arguments that could be made that at the end of the day, you benefit just as much as you're providing a benefit. And so, but that's not to be your ultimate motive because you will at times be disappointed and you will at times meet frustration and aggravation and failure. And so if your motive is primarily focused on what you might receive, you, you may very well burn out and you may very well give up and you may not continue to pursue that approach. But so fundamentally, I do think it has to be at the core of who you are as a person that you are willing to take into consideration what does it look like to come alongside an individual who has had some significant challenges in their past so as to see them move along the path of interdependent self-sufficiency where I'm learning from you, you're learning from me, we're on this journey together. It's not about what I'm doing for you nor what you're doing for me. It's about we're creating a family atmosphere within our corporation that's open and receptive to anyone regardless of background. And I think when we think of folks like, um, I often give the example of Valerie, who's an individual that I had the opportunity to employ 
at one point in time, who from the time she was three until the time she was seven was kept in her closet, only allowed out when her mother was prostituting her to support her own addiction. Family services came in, took her out of that situation, put her in a foster care home where she was sexually, sexually abused. She left there, went to another foster care home, again sexually abused. Finally, at 14 or 15, ran away. Was picked up, was in the juvenile system until she was an adult, and then she was arrested as an adult, related drug-related incident. We met her when she was 23 or 24 years old, never learned how to read, right? And so when an individual like that decides, for whatever reason, that they want something different and they have an opportunity to receive something different, it's a privilege for a business to be able to say, sweet, I get to come alongside you, learn from you and learn about your life journey and also see you move towards being able to provide for yourself and your kids, right? And so- I love that. It's being a privilege. Yeah. It is a privilege. You also talk, let's not be mistaken, about accountability, talk a lot about accountability. So tell us more about the culture at Clean Turn. Yeah, I think a good friend of mine, Brady, said accountability breeds motivation. And I think that's so true. And folks that are in recovery, it's so important when you think of yourself as a business that's being very um, open to being as diverse as possible with your workforce. And you're employing individuals who have had some, some challenges. What's important in that culture is that folks that are on the path to recovery, for example, want a drug and alcohol-free workplace. And you're kind of creating a... It's free of distractions. Yeah, you know, self-defeating mechanism mm-hmm. if and you're that. not holding folks you know, accountable. Right. Um, and folks appreciate that accountability when they're taking their recovery seriously. Right? And so, again, that's part of the... On the front end, you're letting folks know... If you're kind of still on the fence on your recovery journey, this is probably not a good fit for you. Like you need to really think twice about whether or not you want to enter into this employment opportunity within any of our business lines if you're still not sure you're taking your recovery seriously. Um, Because we're going to create a safe place for you, a safe place that holds you accountable and where you hold your peers accountable. And so if that doesn't sound like you, then this is probably not the best fit. And so, and I would say that that's a, a fair assessment that every employer should should make very clear right out of the gate. Yeah, no, I mean, if you're, if you're thinking about developing a concept like this, it sounds like there's a lot of advantages, but you've got to think through all of that very thoroughly. You've assisted with the creation and growth of nearly 30 social enterprises. You must not want to brag. Spanning from Chicago to Cleveland and Columbus, or maybe you can't believe that it's 30. Are you surprised that it's 30? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. But as we said earlier, you don't want to hire John himself to do some of this work. But what you do want to... None of it. (laughs) None of it. You want to hire the people he's employed. But what they do want when thinking about hiring your company is your leadership. So what I wanted to ask you is how have your experiences with these organizations shaped you as the leader that you are today? Yeah, I think the thing that I have, am still learning, but have learned the most so far is the spirit of empathy and the ability to be able to listen intently and take each individual as an individual 
recognizing that regardless of how many folks I've had an opportunity to meet, employ, every story, though it has its similarities, is drastically and radically different. And so um, learning how to meet folks one-on-one and listen to their stories and think about um, where they've come from and why they're where they're at has helped me think about where I've come from and where I'm at. And, and again, I think it's so important to not create programs or systems or think of your business as something that you're necessarily doing for someone else as much as you're creating an environment where you really want to nurture authentic, genuine community and um, a family atmosphere where we're learning from each other. We're serving each other. Um, it's not about what I'm doing again for you um, or what you're doing for me. It's about us being on journey together, figuring out life together and um, taking advantage of the limited time that we have to, you know, walk the earth. And so. And the walk is not always easy. I mean, I caught you walking in here and you just got out of a really difficult conversation with a probation officer. I'm not going to ask you to go into that conversation in the specifics of it. But you will have days like that when you make the decision and you have the privilege of helping people become dependent. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you would describe that. I mean, you were in the middle of thinking about that conversation when you walked into the studio. It's those conversations. It's the one that I had with a gentleman this past Monday when I was at the London Correctional Facility teaching an entrepreneurship class to about 100 inmates. And I talked to this fellow, Brian, afterwards, who was locked up when he was 18 and he's now 39 and he's serving a life sentence. And I, I, I can't help but to leave those types of conversations thinking, frankly, how in the world do you stay motivated to even live? Um, and then when you hear about the circumstances, his um, upbringing, um, the nature of his particular crime, um, you start adding all those details to the conversation in your own head. Um it can get pretty complicated and yeah. and pretty deep, you know? And so, but I think, and I often tell business owners and entrepreneurs, like if you want to do something boring with your life and like, then just start a business. But if you want to do something extremely exciting and um, exhilarating and like legacy leaving and et cetera, et cetera, then be a little bit more creative and think about how you can leverage your business to really impact your community and people's lives in a in a long in a in a lasting way. That's deep. So. That is a deep perspective on 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 being a business owner. You are incredibly active in the Columbus business community. As I, I've said, I've seen you out in about many places. Um, why is it so important to make sure you're up to date with the latest hurdles and trends in small business and social services? I mean, and to be able to pair that with this world that you're trying to get people employment in. I think one of the neat things about our current culture in terms of shift has been the um, decreased attention to thinking in silos. And so traditionally we've thought, you know, there's business, for-profit, stay focused on the bottom line. You have a a fiduciary responsibility to do that, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have the nonprofit sector that focuses on the social needs, or you have the government programs that are focused on the social needs. And folks have just traditionally thought in silos. The millennials, and I would even say that Gen Xers kind of started this conversation in culture shifting, um, 
have have really started to think about things entirely different, um, and it's more integrated. Morphed and and one of the best experiences for me from a learning experience was to be able to participate in a program at a small university in Chicago focused on nonprofit management while working on my MBA at Northwestern because the folks that I was working on my MBA with at Northwestern were a different crowd than the folks that I was working on my nonprofit management master's program at this other school. You know, one group was very bottom line driven, Goldman Sachs oriented, Mm -hmm. you know, big corporate America type folks. And the other folks were, you know, tree hugging, you know, butterfly rainbows and all of that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Kumbaya, like two different worlds. Right. And so bringing these worlds together. And that's why I think it's important, you know, to keep it, you know, yeah, to, to stay in tune with how the business and social sector um, do, in fact, and they've never functioned in silos because we're dealing with people. And so, but, but we've tried to deal with them in silos. And right. so um, I, I think the intention, intentionality of our culture now, both from a market standpoint, the buyers and the sellers are interested in figuring out how to create business models that impact society in a positive way. Now that, that's going to create a great need for us to assess how we measure success and so it's easy to measure ROI, return on investment, because we're talking about dollars and cents exclusively. Social return on investment is a little bit more tricky because you're dealing with um, more than just dollars and cents. You're dealing with you know people and, um, and and environmental factors, some of which are easier to measure th- than others. And so, um, so that's going to be our next. You know, that's that is the next big question: is how do we Measure success, how do we ensure that without being overly bureaucratic, create an environment in which businesses aren't just leveraging, impacting society in a positive way as a great marketing tool because they recognize the market's willing to buy more if they cast the vision of who they are in some type of social oriented way, when in fact they're really not doing jack squat behind the scenes, right? And so, yeah. So it's a matter of getting the people to do the things for the right reasons and then put out that right vision of what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So since you mentioned it, um, you do hold an MBA from Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management, but you not only hold one, not two, not three or four, but five master's degrees focused on urban studies, religion, history, nonprofit management as well. So this is not that hard of a right turn to make with this because we were just kind of talking about it, but what for those listeners who may be considering going back to school to better their business, what really prompted you to focus so intently on your education and what advice would you have for them? So I have eight kids and I tell my kids on top of all of those degrees, you have eight children. Wow. um, And I tell my teach us kids, that you do not need to take the same educational route that your dad took. The only thing that that educational route should communicate to you is a very confused dad. (laughs) So don't go, don't do that. Don't do that. So um, learn what you want to focus on really early on. I am very grateful for the opportunity that I have had to be able to study and meet with folks and connect. I'm actually going to Notre Dame this evening when I'm, I'm finished here to connect with a professor that I had at one of the universities. But I think, you know, sometimes the burden of feeling the need to go back to school for me, to the degree that that was one of the motives, 
because I know it was to one degree or another. It wasn't the only, it wasn't the primary. But for some, for some of us, it often, I think we all do feel this way. We feel inadequate um, and feel like we need to learn more before we can do more. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to understand before we can um, serve. Um, and, and that's just simply not true. There's certainly a need to learn more. There's certainly a need. And the danger is to stop learning for sure that exists to stop reading, to stop studying, to stop engaging our, our minds and thinking through issues in a very careful, systematic, non-social media oriented way, non-bumper stick oriented way, but really to dig deep and think about social issues in a very complex way. That's certainly a need, but the nature of relationships and, and love doesn't re, doesn't um, require us to know everything, and so it's it's a both and type scenario, um, and uh, and yeah, and so if love was purely based on my ability to be able to understand fully all of the difficult questions that come across my mind as I'm engaged in social issues then I would never be freed to love. I mean, and so, and I wouldn't be able to love more and more if I, um, at the same time, wasn't engaging in exercising my mind and understanding the issues more. And so they, they, they feed each other. And love in the means of embracing a community, embracing all, being able to get your heart and your head around those things. Yeah. So last question in another one that may be a little bit complex, but it's okay because we've had a lovely, complex conversation and it's great. I love it that you've been here today. But what advice do you have for those people who are listening who are interested in supporting the personal and professional development and growth of our Columbus community? Not a certain sector, but all who are out there looking for gainful employment and to make a change in their lives. Yeah, so for individuals that um, are looking for opportunities uh, that may have had some challenges in their past, we have open group interviews at Clean Turn Enterprises on the first and third Thursday of each month at 9 o'clock in the morning, Uh, roughly 30 to 40 individuals every time we have an open group interview participate. And so, you know, there's anywhere between 1,000 or 1,500 folks that come through the door uh, each year. That doesn't include the folks that we reach out to that are currently incarcerated. Um, and so I would say the door is open to anyone to come and we may not be able to provide a place of employment, but we may be able to direct you to an organization or a company that might be a sister company under our passion, purpose, profit umbrella of companies. And I think maybe that's more kind of what I want to go down in terms of that road for those folks who are listening, who want to support the kind of thing you're doing. Gotcha. Not the people necessarily coming in to look for the jobs, but those who want to be able to do something similar or to support this personal and professional development and growth of these individuals. What advice would you give to them? If, if you are a manager um, or uh, an employee in any, in any position of the company other than HR or CEO or CFO, I would encourage, encourage you strongly to bring the conversation up internally with your senior management team, because until they frankly are fully on board and engaged, it's going to be hard to see sustainable change. 
So that's step one. Um, and, and specifically, I would probably target your HR department, HR manager. And if you're an HR manager or director or you work in HR, um, that's those are the people that we want to talk to, that I want to talk to and build a relationship with to help them wrestle through these issues in a way that fits their specific business model. Because this uh, a approach of doing business, there's not one model that's applicable to every business. Like right. it's different with each business and it's okay to understand that. Um, and, and so I would say, look, let, let's talk to the HR departments. Let's set up a time to just sit down and wrestle through what is it that you want to do? What is the business that you're in? And then we'll be able to provide you some guidance in terms of how we can help. And, and I do that for free. Like I, this is not, that part of what I do is because in our state, like I said earlier, there's 50,000 folks incarcerated. I've seen folks who um, their past does not define forever who they are. And you're missing out as a business owner if you close the door to individuals simply because of their criminal history. Um, and so for your benefit, I want to have that conversation but more than for your benefit, like I have seen men and women who are the best employees on the planet. Um, and so they just need that opportunity. I feel like the Columbus Chamber probably has facilitated some of those conversations. They have, yes. And the Columbus Chamber has been from day one, I should mention this, like from literally one of the f first individuals that I met uh, at the Columbus Chamber, she's no longer there, but she was extremely helpful um, and opened up a boatload of doors. Becoming a member at the Columbus Chamber was uh, one of the best decisions that I made when I moved here because they connected and introduced me to a lot of folks. And so I, I would actually put a plug in there for the Columbus Chamber that if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur, you need to network with the chamber um, because that will be a, a gateway, a pathway for you to grow your business. Now, I'll say that too, because I believe the Columbus Chamber has a heart for wanting to see business done in such a way that it impacts society in a positive way. And so I would doubly emphasize the importance of connecting with the Columbus Chamber because of that. They're going to love you. We didn't plant that information. That was straight from the heart, which a lot of this interview has been. So John Rush with clean turn. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please let us know by sharing your ratings and reviews. All you need to do is search CBuzz on iTunes or your preferred podcatcher and leave us a note. Let us know how we're doing. It actually helps people find our show. And we also read your feedback and value your ideas as we plan for future episodes. CBuzz is produced in collaboration with Capital University. It's recorded at Capitol's Convergent Media Center, as we mentioned earlier. So we want to thank their talented students, faculty, and staff for really helping bring this program to life for you, our listeners. I'm Michaela Hunt. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.